If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to the 101st Psalm this morning, I'm going to title this sermon, or maybe uh, two or three sermons, it may take me that long to get through these, but I'm going to title them, Prevent, Suffer, or Recover. Prevent, Suffer, or Recover. And specifically speaking about the consequences of sin, preventing the consequences of sin, suffering the consequences of sin, or recovering from the consequences of sin. If we're honest with ourselves, we will find ourselves doing one of the three throughout our lives. There's times that we may walk in wisdom and light and make decisions that we need to make that prevents us from suffering the consequences of sin. We may find other times in our lives where we did not make the right decisions that we needed to make. We did not walk in the light and we find ourselves suffering for the consequences of our sins. Uh, And then there are times where maybe we have suffered from the consequences of our sins, but we find grace and mercy in the Lord and we uh, experience a recovering from those things. So um, there, all three of those things we experience. Some people may be in one category today and others may be in another category today. But today specifically, I want to look at the preventing side of it, preventing the consequences of sin. Um, I've noticed a trend as our nation seems to grow um, further and further away from the Lord and from his teachings that um, there is not a real present mindset of preventing the consequences of sin. Uh, I've told you before, uh, you know, the, the to wisdom, the, the application of wisdom is to be able to look at how what you're doing today affects on down the road. That's wisdom, the skill of being able to look uh, at how our actions affect uh, the, the, our future. And there is not a whole lot of that in today's time. There is not a mindset of I'm going to walk in such a way, uh, make decisions in such a way that prevent me from, uh, from suffering from the consequences of sin. But I've noticed that oftentimes when those decisions are not made and people transition into the suffering part of that, that instead of owning it, Instead of repenting from it, instead of confessing from it, they want to chalk it up to, well, this is just God's plan or God's perfect timing. I I trust nothing is further from the truth. We suffer from the consequences of our sins. Um, So having a mindset to prevent that is definitely something that we need to have. And if we don't have it, we need to pray to God and study the word of God so we can develop it. Correct. So um, in the 101st Psalm. I want to look at what David writes here, and you can just see that the tone of this psalm here is written uh, by a man who has a understanding and a mindset that I'm going to orchestrate and structure my life to try to minimize the snares that are laid out before me and to try to keep myself from transitioning into the suffering part. And he says in the first verse, he says, I will sing of mercy and judgment unto thee. O Lord, will I sing. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. O when will thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. Now notice this right here. He says, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Now, does that sound like a man who has the mindset that I am trying to prevent 
sin from coming into my life and, and ruling and reigning and eventually carrying me over into the suffering realm. It sounds like it to me. When was the last time that you said, you know what, I've got a, a, a new mantra here that I'm not going to set any wicked thing before my eyes. Now, notice, it's also, you know, and this is, an, again, another sermon for another day. Notice he says, I will not set. What do we call it? We call it a TV set. Amen. Right? You may be driving down the road, and, and listen, if you asked me, if you said, Luke, what are the two greatest weapons of Satan? What is he using to destroy? I would probably say number one is pride. He, he is cultivating the pride inside of mankind. Uh, and so I would say that's probably one of his greatest weapons. But lust is a close number two. Now, I'm not necessarily talking about just lust of the flesh, which that's probably number one on the list of lust. But lust for many things. Do you remember Brother Tim Priest uh, uh, last week or the week before? Well, maybe two or three weeks ago uh, about the dangers of fame. Do you remember that? People lust after fame. People lust after success. That's why, listen, and I'm not trying to hurt our feelings. I'm there to some degree. That's why we put our kids in sports from three-year-olds, three, from, from the time they're three-year-old, and we let them play year-round, all to pursue something that we consider great. That's lust. Lust of success. You know what? If you're on your deathbed and you said, hey, if somebody comes up to you and says, hey, man, tell me what you accomplished in your life. And you say, I was a nobody. I made a decent living. I provided for my family. I worked. I had, I had good godly friends and I spent time in the church. But for the most part, you go 20 miles outside of my house. Nobody knows who I am. Praise God. That is a successful life. That's what Paul says, that we may live a quiet and peaceable life. Paul doesn't say, let's go out and search for fame. So we lust after things. Fame, money, flesh, all those types of things. My point is, you may be going down the road, and there's a billboard with a woman who has almost no clothes on, and they're advertising something or another. Well, listen, you didn't set that before your eyes. That just happened to be on the side of the road now, We'll get to another verse and address that in just a minute. But here he says, I will not intentionally and on purpose put something in front of me that is wicked. And listen, what's, what, what, do they, what do they teach you when you're kids? Hey, if you wouldn't watch it with Jesus, don't watch it. I could run a list of popular television shows up here right now that are filthy and God absolutely hates them. And the chances are a good majority of you watch them on a regular basis. That's just true. Have you set something before you that is wicked? Listen, and we'll get to this in just a second. I might have to, I might have to break this up into two different sermons. <laughs> the eye is the gateway to the heart. And that's what the Lord teaches us. What, is it, what does he say? Let me, let me flip over there just a second. You don't have to flip over there with me. In Luke, the 11th chapter, in verse 34, the light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when thine eye is single, thy whole body also is full of light. But when thine eye is evil, thy body also is full of darkness. You see, the eye is the gateway to the heart. And we see things 
And what is the what is the heart? Oh, it's a cozy little warm place where you love it. No, the heart, the Bible says, is desperately wicked. And it is evil and it will trick you and ensnare you. And the Bible says that the through the eye, the heart is inflamed for the lustful things of this world. And so David says, listen, I'm going to keep those things from getting to my heart and exciting my heart towards unholy things. So I'm not going to set it before me. That's a man who is saying, you know what? I'm trying to prevent the consequences of sin. And what does the Lord say? The Lord says, hey, if your eye offends you, what does he say? He says, take it out. He says, to, now, he's not saying literally take your eyeball out. But he is making the point here that if our eye is open enough that the things of this world are flooding inside of our hearts and inflaming our heart for the lustful worldly things, you need to do whatever you've got to do to make that stop happening. So, you know, maybe one simple way that you, that you, you pluck your eye out is you, you start throwing away some things in your house that are flooding in for, through the eye gate. So here's a man who says, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I, I encourage you to start praying that and make that uh, something, a banner that you start marching under. It says, I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. You see what he's saying? There are some who have gone from preventing the consequences of sin to suffering from the consequences of sin. And I do not want that to cleave to me. He said, a froward heart shall not, a froward heart shall depart from me. I will not know a wicked person. Whoso privily slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. Him that hath a high look and a proud heart, I will not suffer. Do you know what he's saying here? He is preaching to us, saying what the Bible tells us, that evil communications corrupt good manners. He knows and listen, one of the most foolish statements we could ever make is to say the people I hang around don't affect me. Well, I don't know what Bible you're reading, but the Bible, the inspired, preserved word of God says they do affect you. Good, good and bad. But he says, listen, there are wicked people. There are people who are slandering their neighbors. There are people who are waiting in private to ensnare the righteous. And he says, I don't want that to be my company. Why does he say that? Because... Eventually, we will be like that. If evil communications corrupt good manners, what that means is there is something inherent in our human fallen nature that is, it makes those behaviors contagious to us. If all you did was, if you only ever spent time around people that were negative and talked, uh, you know, slanderous all the time, you give that enough time, you will do the same. You are not strong enough, and I am not strong enough to prevent that. I'm not saying don't love them. I'm not saying don't take care of them. I'm not saying don't pray for them. Do you understand what I'm saying? Those ought not be our besties, as the kids say it. And David says here, those people will affect my mindset of trying to walk in such a way so I prevent sin from having rule in my life. He says, mine eye shall be upon the faithful of the land. They that may dwell with me, he that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. 
He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. Are you getting the picture? <clears throat> in Job, if that's not enough for you, I'm going to flip over to the book of Job for a second. The 31st chapter of Job, <clears throat> he says, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? This is a man who is saying, I understand the effects of what a lustful heart will do to me. I understand that gazing at something that is unholy and impure, if I let that into my eyes, again, it inflames and affects my heart. And if the only way to keep that from happening is to not set it before me. And he says, I made a covenant that I will not look and think upon a maid in a lustful way. Now, in Psalms, the 16th chapter, in verse 8, we see, again, this David saying, we're talking about setting, right? He says, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. But he says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. And you know what I think about? What do you mean shall not be moved? I say, not, I say he's not moving from the category of preventing the consequences of sin into suffering the consequences of sin. We will go through the Bible and we will look at um, the next time at some people that suffered greatly because of their consequences. And the very man that we're talking about, the very man who says, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes, is the same man who walked out on that rooftop when he was supposed to be in battle and the eye gate opened and in came the images of Bathsheba. And what happened? His heart became so affected and so inflamed that he turned into um, a, he turned into a essentially a rapist, an adulterer, and a murderer. Why? Because he opened that eye gate and he gazed on something, and it affected his heart in such a way that from that point on. There was unrest in the house of David through his children and the way they all the way down through there. Brother Tim's preaching on David and has talked about some of those things because David did not live what he was preaching. You know, Solomon, Solomon, I think it's in Proverbs, the seventh chapter, um, warns us about what the Bible calls the strange woman. Uh, or, or as we've said before, you can flip it to the strange man about uh, about the woman who is doing everything she can to get into the eye of a man so she can get into the heart of a man. And he writes so beautiful, beautifully how that affects us and how to stay away from the strange woman. But do you know what Solomon's end was? The strange woman. 
he fell to the very thing that he was saying you need to protect yourself against. Don't kid yourself. Preventing sin is a mindset we need to have. Preventing the consequences of those sins is a mindset that we need to have. But it is a small, short step into the next category of suffering. David suffered because of one bad decision. One bad, and what is, the, what is the Bible saying? I can't quote it exactly. But it says, as dead flies spoil the ointment of the apothecary, so does a little folly to him that has a reputation for wisdom and honor. You know what that means? That means if I'm up here cooking you a big old pot of chili, and you look in there, and there's a tiny dead frog, None of you will eat it. It's a huge pot of chili with one tiny little dead frog or fly. And you're like, eh, I don't think I want that. You may live your life in great wisdom. And you open that eye gate and let that flood in and inflame your heart one time. You might realize that your reputation for wisdom and honor is ruined. Sure, we think, when we think about King David, sure, we think about Goliath. But a lot of people, just as much or more, think about his interaction with Bathsheba. All the great things that David did, and that's one of the things he's the most well-known for. One time. I want to live a life where my mindset and your mindset is on how do I prevent sin from ensnaring me? Because I don't want to be David on the back end there of what he did with Bathsheba. I don't want to be that. I don't want to make it. I mean, how many times, listen, how many times when you hear some awful story of something that happened to one of the young people of today, I would dare say the upper 90% of the time, it is, well, they were out partying with a bunch of friends. They went over here and somebody got involved in this and somebody got involved in this and the next thing you know, something terrible happened to one of them. I said this a long, long, long time ago. When was the last time you heard somebody say, yeah, so-and-so, it's awful what happened to them. You know, they were kidnapped at a primitive Baptist meeting. <laughs> I mean, really, you don't hear that. I'm not saying that. Listen, I, I, these young people, they do not deserve the tragic things that happen to them. But it is absolutely within their power and authority to have prevented it. But they did not have the mindset to walk in the light and protect the eye gate or to not set any wicked thing before them. As a matter of fact, they went to indulge it. They went and picked up the rattlesnake and then they're shocked when it bit them. Have the mindset to prevent it. Because next time that I preach to you, we're going to talk, you know, I told you the title was Prevent, Suffer, or Recover. You see David. You see Samson. My goodness, Samson, is there a better picture in the Bible of somebody that suffered for their poor decisions? You look at a man named Achan, who it cost him in, in the book of, I believe it's Joshua, who the Bible says uh, 
he looked on as it, when he went into battle, he was supposed to wipe out a nation. They were supposed to go in there and wipe out, and, and the instruction was, don't take anything with you. And Achan takes some stuff. And when he's caught for it, it cost him and his family's life. But when he was caught for it, what does he say? He says, I looked and saw. What happened? He looked through the eye gate and he saw some items that, he, that just did something to his heart. And he just had to have them. He had an opportunity there to prevent the consequences of sin. But he ended up suffering the consequences of sin. But again, God is merciful and he restores from the consequences of sin. Now, he may not take away the consequence of it, let me say that, but he can take away the guilt of it. Preventing the consequences of sin, especially if you're a young person, please listen to me. You need to have a mindset to prevent, to not set wicked things before you, to make a covenant with your eyes, to not look on things that inflame your heart in a, in a worldly way. Because listen, Lord willing, you got a whole lot more years here left than the rest of us. You can make one wrong decision at 18, and it affects you for the rest of your life. One bad decision. Don't take it lightly. Don't be so confident. Let he that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. It is a small, what is, what is, uh, uh, it's, uh, David says, there is just one step between me and death. When Saul was after him, you remember that? King Saul is running after David, and he tells Jonathan, he said, there is just one step between me and one misstep, and I'm a goner. There's a short step from preventing to suffering. And I hope that you've got the mind to make a covenant to not set those things before you. I hope that's been profitable, and please pray for Brother Tim as he comes.